Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. This segment of the Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by MX Exploration, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol AMX, and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as AMXEF. MX Exploration is exploring its 100% owned Perone Gold Project in Quebec, Canada, featuring super high-grade intersects. Go to their website, AmexExploration.com. And now, here's Ellis Martin with David Morgan. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with David Morgan, a precious metals aficionado armed with degrees in finance and engineering. He created the MorganReport.com website and originated the Morgan Report covering economic news, overall financial health of the global economy, currency problems, and the key reasons for investing in the resource sector. David considers himself a big picture macroeconomist whose main job is education, educating people about honest money and the benefits of a sound financial system. David, welcome to the program. Nice to have you on the air today. Alice, it's always fun to be with you. Thank you. Several years ago, I don't remember the exact year because I don't want to remember, a lot of individuals were at risk with their 401ks and their retirement funds and whatever their financial planners had in mind for them just didn't work and they lost. And a lot of those folks didn't get their money back and they're boomers. They're people in their mid-50s to early 70s and a lot of them are still at risk. What kind of financial system do we have in place that is better than it was, let's say, in 2007 or 2008 that's protecting people like us and if it's not a good system, where's the safety now? Yeah, that's a great question, Ellis. And I know it's a bit rhetorical because you pretty much know the answer. Look, since 2008 till right now, we basically doubled the debt. So the problem was debt, and we tried to cure the problem with adding more debt. So we've increased the problem. We've doubled the problem. On top of that, what used to take place was between the equity market and the debt market or the bond market, more commonly referred, was the antithesis of each other. In other words, equities go down, bonds went up, bonds go down, equities went up. In other words, kind of balance each other out, so you'd kind of move back and forth. And the older you got, the more you had the safe, secure bond portfolio. That's no longer true. Bonds are very high still because of these interest rates and the way the bond market's performed over the last three decades. I'll admit that. But nothing grows to the moon. It's time to sell bonds. And equities are overpriced by any metric you want to use. So you can't dive out of the equity market and move into the bond market and, and call it safe. It's going from the frying pan into the fire. So where do you go? Well, the lie is that you can print wealth. That's the basic lie. And we've been doing that for a long time. We've been getting away with it. We've been pretending it's okay. In fact, I'm not a big Trumpster, believe me, but I want to kind of call the president to the carpet for a moment because during a campaign and one of the debates, and I don't watch much TV, but he said, we're in one great big fat bubble. Everything's overinflated and any increase in interest rates are going to deflate that bubble. But now he's singing a different tune. You know, all these factory jobs are reopened because of me and the stock market's high because of me. And whether you like me or not, you got to vote for me because, you know, your 401k depends on me and whole different tune. So that's what I want to bring that to the fore. But the, here's the point. You can't print your way out of this. 
And that's what they're going to try to do. And anyone that knows anything knows that's the wrong answer. And so what's happening? Gold's becoming a safe haven for who? Not you and me and people that have listened to us for years. Some are still there, hold their core positions, and God bless you all. Finally got a bull market again. But no, this big money's moving in from the institutions. It's the smart money that's moving in through the ETFs and the futures markets. The retail market's pretty sad right now. The bid spread ask is low. When the bid spread ask is low and it's tight between the bid and the ask, it's because there's a lot of product out there. So the retail investor, for the most part, hasn't come back in this market. They either don't trust it, don't believe it, think it's a fake out, not a breakout, on and on and on. You pick your scenario. That's the reality. But the big picture is, look, we are getting toward the cliff again. And people that are in the know are moving away from it with as much as they can, meaning moving into gold primarily. I want to drive it to retirement. I want to drive it to protecting assets. How does the mom and pop investor, how do we boomers, how do we protect ourselves in this multi-tiered environment? You mentioned institutions getting into gold. Well, really, it's not that difficult. I mean, Jim Rickards says basically the same thing I say as far as asset allocation goes. So 10% is probably enough for gold. It could just be as simple as gold coins. Forget the price you paid. And, and I'll give you the reason why. Being my age and going being a metals head most of my entire life, I watched almost the entire bull market from 1965 to 1980, January 21st, 1980, when gold peaked. And it's still the peak in real terms, not in nominal terms. So if you had 10% allocation and you bought gold at 100 bucks, which basically is where it started trading, I think in 73, whatever the year was, it was Gerald Ford said you could own gold again. And it peaked at almost 900. So that's nine times on your money. So let's say you had 10% allocation in gold and the rest was in your real estate and your stock market and whatever else. If they all went to zero and gold went up 10 times, you're at a break-even point. That's a perfect hedge. A hedge is where you make a small bet that protects you no matter what. It'd be like having an insurance policy for catastrophic illness or something, and it's only cost you 100 a month, but God forbid it happens, the 100 bucks a month takes care of you for the rest of your life. It's sort of like that scenario, except the gold takes care of your financial situation for the rest of your life. That may be too big a bold statement, but that's the idea. Now, in that scenario, gold went up roughly tenfold, and your stock portfolio didn't go to zero, and your real estate portfolio didn't go to zero. So you're actually, with that 10% asset allocation, doing better than just breaking even even though the other asset allocations have gone down substantially, because let's say the stock market went talking, but it didn't in 1980, but I'm just doing a scenario, you ask the question, it drops by 50%. And let's say the real estate market drops by 50%, and that's 90% of your net worth. Wow, that would hurt. But with gold went up 10 times, which it doesn't usually, or more, in those kind of scenarios, you're good. You're good. So that's the answer. Now, for those people that need to make a lot in a hurry, I'm going to top my own book. But if you get in at the right time, because gold sometimes performs as well as the gold stocks, but not always and not what we're coming into right now. The stocks will far outperform the metals themselves and the metals are going to do great. But, you know, if you need to make up for lost time and you put 10 percent Let's say you put 10% in gold and 10% in the right portfolio of mining shares. 
those suckers will take off 10, 20, 30 times because most people have stock accounts and they love cheap stocks. And if you know how to, let's say, allocate properly through the right risk reward profile, it's going to be, I think, it's going to be one of the biggest booms you've ever seen when it gets to the end. I mean, when this thing goes parabolic, double parabolic, hyperparabolic, and starts going straight up and people say, well, how high can it go? It's just like Intel. Go look at Intel back in the tech wreck. I mean, Intel went up almost every day. I remember the financial commentators going, I can't be up again. You're hearing that about gold in a couple of years. I can't be up again. Gold's at a record being up $50 in one day and today it's up 70 or, you know, stuff like that. I've never heard you talk about those multiples before with regard to gold. You've never said 20, well, 30 no, times. I mean, you know, I mean, it's as good as the interviewer and, you know, whatever else. I mean, you know, this would be something I might do in a consultation. I'm fine to share with the public, but people have, you know, love me. People hate me. People are in between. It doesn't matter about me. It's the message, not the messenger. But, you know, I've been in this market a long time and I've thought about this stuff. I'm a deep thinker. And I've also got experience, and that's the experience. Go look it up. I mean, gold went up basically tenfold, so that means you'll really only need to 10% asset allocation, and you're good to go. Why are you only allocating 10% then if it's it's that reliable? Well, that's a personal choice, Ellis. I mean, that's the best for the vast majority that believe tomorrow's always going to be like today. That guys like me are doom and gloomers. We don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, we know something about monetary history, but it's not on their watch. It's not going to happen in their lifetime. That's something that doesn't happen in America. Whatever their bias is, it's like, so So look, a 10% hedge, eh, I hate gold, but at least I got 10%. Maybe he's right and I can sleep at night. 90% in my real estate portfolio and I'm going to make a fortune and I'm going to have this super income when I retire and blah, 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 blah. And maybe they'll be right. Quebec, Canada is one of the most mining-friendly jurisdictions in the world. That's where you'll find Amex Exploration. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as AMX and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as AMXEF. Amex during their 2018-2019 drilling program on their 100% owned Perone Gold Project has returned multiple super high-grade gold intersects. These include approximately 9.5 ounces per ton of gold over 1.35 meters, 20.5 ounces per ton of gold over 0.8 meters, and 7.6 ounces per ton gold over 0.65 meters. Visible gold has been intersected in virtually every hole of the high-grade zone exploration program. Amex is led by a very senior and talented team of mine finders and mine financiers that have invested their own capital next to shareholders capital and are committed to spending shareholder money wisely to build value. The company recently completed a $5 million financing and brought on two large investors, Eric Sprott and Commodity Capital. Amex can drill year-round and recently added a second drill to allow for regional exploration and targeted drilling on the eastern gold zone of the Perone property, which should continue to yield ample news flows throughout the balance of 2019. Follow this exciting gold discovery story by going to amexexploration.com. Here's what's happening right now. As the word gets out, about gold like millennials and and boomers and people that have never invested in it before because the word will get out because the powers that be want the gold story to be purveyed and it's just organically going to grow because it makes sense. So your subscription base is probably going to grow. Hopefully my audience will grow and people will be coming into this for the very first time. What can I do to get into gold? What's my first step? In addition to subscribing to the Morgan Report, what is a good first step? Yeah, I think a first step, always education. You know, you're going to be uncomfortable calling up that coin dealer for the first time. You're going to send off that check. He's going to cash it. 
And you're going to sit there and wait two weeks to get your gold coins in registered mail. You have to sign or FedEx, you have to sign or UPS, you have to sign. And, you know, that two weeks is going to be the longest two weeks of your life. You're going to think, my God, you know, three months have gone by. Where's my gold? Right. But 99.9% of the time, if you do with a good dealer, you're going to get your gold. And now you've made that transaction and you're basically good to go. But if you're going to put in 10,000, 20,000, 100,000, whatever it is, whatever 10% is for you, I would do 1%, 2%, one coin. And then you have very little to risk. I teach this in the 10 rules of silver investing. Just buy a little, see how you're treated, see how long it takes to get delivery and all that. And then you say, okay, and then you might buy it in two tranches. You buy, you know, half and half and you're done. So that's kind of the most basic asset allocation. Again, 10% physical, forget about the rest, forget about the mining share, forget about me being right or wrong about what the future of the economic tundra looks like out there and just buy some gold and be happy. On the other hand, those that are more aggressive or agree with me more and are looking to get beyond just a hedge or a asset protection portfolio, I want to make some spectacular capital gains and maybe build a legacy for their family or they got a business they've got their eye on. And when things go upside down and that business is selling for a third of what it would sell for now or that apartment building or whatever else they have their eye on, well, you can go up to 20, 25%. I mean, I'm going to limit anybody. But in those situations, you got a lot more exposure to a market that's best. I mean, Jeff Christian gets kind of a bad rap. I'm not Jeff's biggest fan in the world, but he's a good intellect and he's honest. So I'm going to be a little bit of his advocate here for a moment. But he does work that very few people see because they don't subscribe or then they don't attend all the conferences that I do. But he showed from, I think it was 1968, and he could correct me. My memory's pretty good. That the correct asset allocation of gold to balance the portfolio is like 25%. And that's coming from CPM Group. So, you know, when I say 10, I'm actually a lot lower than Jeff Christian is. Now, will people do that amount? Well, some do. I'm higher than that level personally. And so is Mike Maloney and some of us that are advocates for honest money or the situation at hand. I think that if you don't have any assets, which unfortunately there's a lot in this country and other places, of course, you really have to do your best to live within your means. And I know that's hard living like in California or other parts of the country. I mean, I get it. You know, I'm pretty empathetic. I'm a pretty compassionate person, to be honest about it. But you got to do the best you can with what you've got. You can't eat gold, as anyone knows. So, you, you know, you can buy food. I mean, if this inflation takes off to a noticeable degree, which I think it will by the end of the year because I think food prices are going to have a lot of upward pressure because of the crop failures or less planting, less of a harvest, let's say. People notice that. They notice gasoline prices and they notice food prices. And they notice real estate somewhat, but mostly those two. So when you start seeing pressure on your basic necessities, fuel and food, it will start a consciousness, as you said earlier, Ellis, in this discussion, that people are going to wake up and gravitate to gold. Why? Because they know instinctively that gold is going to protect them. You mentioned the 25-time multiples, and I I know you're talking about the equities, and they're cheap right now, and they've been cheap for a while, but they still appear to be risky. Should you just get in and overlook that? It's a risk-reward profile. I mean, you know, it depends how you approach the market, and there's a lot of mistakes that people make that you don't need to make. I've made them for you, so, you know, if you subscribe, you don't have to <laughs> learn. You can learn from me and not make them, but 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, no guarantees. But yeah, there's a way to approach the market. And in fact, in the gold sector and silver, there's a unique brand of companies that basically make money regardless of the up and down price. And those are the royalty companies or the streaming streamers as well. And that's what we pretty much focused on at the Morgan Port for a long time. And, you know, if you look at the portfolio, I mean, some of those stocks are still up 700, 800, I don't think 900%. Maybe now that the market's moving so strong, but we got 500, 600, 700, 800%. And so when you're up, eightfold on your stock from 2000, 2001, 2002, people that follow me into this market when you might have, could have, should have, you know, they can write options on those stocks. And I had a, one of the best options experts. I met him at the money show. Great guy. And I had him do my mastermind. And he took my basic top tier portfolio, didn't mess with any of the juniors or any of the mid tiers, in fact. And what he determined was with that top tier portfolio, which are like your Franco Nevadas and your Pan American Silvers, I mean, these are billion dollar producers, you get a 40% return if you're willing to do the work of writing a covered call every month. That's a pretty good job if you can get it. Sit there, you know, with a $100,000 portfolio and make 40000 a year off it every year just by sitting at your computer an hour or two a week. David, how does a new listener find out about you and follow you, become a subscriber if they want to? Well, I think the best thing is get on the free list and see how I write. And, you know, these interviews, I'm usually, you get a kind of feel for me. As I said, it's a personality. Some I don't like them, I do like them, whatever. But try to overlook that and try to focus on the message. Just go to themorganreport.com, get on our free list. If you're interested in subscribing, just pull down the subscribe button and go to that presentation. And it'll show you everything. It's a sales letter, but it's a sincere sales letter. And just look at it and see what you get. And then they compare that with like MK in Vancouver that charges seven times what I charge. You know, I'm at 50 bucks a month. I mean, he's at 350 bucks a month. And then you've got a geologist that's well known. He's at every gold show. I like him. In fact, I've had him on my mastermind and I've consulted with him. But he's at like triple what I charge. And all he does is juniors, which is really the space you don't want to put a lot of money in. And then you got some others. So I'm right in line or better than my competition as far as value is concerned, dollar invested to learn. And look, if $50 a month is so meaningful to you that you can't afford it, then you're really not a serious investor. And I don't want your business anyway. I had a guy call me up and he had a modest amount to invest. He pretty much liked my story, I guess. I don't know how to frame this. And he actually wanted in. And I said, absolutely not. I said, there's no way with that amount of money, you, know, you can make some money with it, but you're just not in the right place, right time. And he goes, you know, thanks for telling me that. I kind of knew it, but you're saying it to me. You're not after my money, <laughs> and I'm not. So you got to think about it. That's fine. And you want value. I have to digress a little bit. There's a pretty famous newsletter writer that's now retired, and he had uh, Chrysalex on his list. Chrysalex was undoubtedly one of the best gold situations on the planet, but it also was in Venezuela and highly political, and I didn't think it was worth investing in because it was too politicized, and I didn't think it'd ever become a mine for the shareholders, and that's what actually happened. So this guy called me up for a consultation, and he said, I'm with this, and this, you know, I've got all this money in this Chrysalex. What do you think? And I told him what I just said, and he said, well... Ah, and I keep buying it as it goes down, and I'm, you know, I'm going broke, and uh, I don't get it. He goes, that letter's a thousand dollars a year, and at the time, mine was like a hundred dollars a year, or something. And 
He goes, I, I got to be getting better information. I'm paying 10 times as much. You know, I said, in this business, most of the time you get what you pay for. I mean, if you're buying a Mercedes, you're probably getting a better car than my Jetta, right? But not always, especially in this business, because there's a lot of hype out there. A lot of people get in that super high pot news. This gold mine is a secret gold mine, and it's the only one, and blah, 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 blah. And so they buy it. It's only 169 bucks, and then they get the upsell for only 269 bucks more. They get this, and then their third upsell, and it's if you get this, you get that, and then all of a sudden they're paying more. What's more than the fifty bucks a month I charge? But they started off, you know, thinking of getting something cheaper. And I got to digress another step because this one makes me laugh. So I, I helped this guy out as best I could. I told him to quit buying it. Most of the time, you don't want to have it down. There's exceptions to that, but very rare. And the other thing is there was a stock that one of the, let's say, large publishing houses glommed onto. And the sales letter, as most of them are, is just an absolute art form. I mean, you read the sales letter, you just got to buy this stock. So some of my people were calling, texting, emailing. David, you missed it. You missed it. You missed it. We've had that stock from five bucks. It's this company, and it's now at 10. So we've already doubled our money on it before this big publishing house came out with the super secret. I'm sorry, y'all. It's part of the industry I really don't like where there's so much hype. But on the other hand, and I sound like I'm talking about both sides of my mouth, and that means that, you know, there are at certain times a possibility where the mining shares will really make up for lost time. I mean, you will get in the situation, Dennis Wheeler of the past, not the Dennis Wheeler that used to run Coeur d'Alene, but Dennis Wheeler, the newsletter writer, has been deceased, I guess, for 10 years or so. He and I are pretty friendly. He has much different politically. So anyone that knows who I'm talking about, I am not of the same class as him. I don't know how to frame it. But as far as a human being, I respect him. And he used to say one good commodity trade can make up for a lot of errors. And he's right. I'm not saying you should trade commodities, but if you bought the last big ton of money I made people is I bought silver at 19 when it broke out from that channel formation. 19. And when I were just at 18, we're finally happy. But 19 and it went to 26 and they announced QE2. I got right back in at 26 and wrote it up to 48 and got out. You do the multiples from a $20 bill to a $48 bill and you multiply that times 5,000 depending on how many contracts you got. I had a lot of people that followed me into that trade and they left the market. They're done. They finished. They made so much money. Thank you, David. May God bless you from this day forward for the rest of your life. I'm out of here. I want to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> David, it's always good to talk to you. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today on the program. We'll, we'll catch up again soon. Well, it's always fun to be with you. I, I love your smile. And, you know, what I like about you is that, you know, we take life not too seriously. You got to be able to laugh. And, you know, there's more to life than money. But it's important, especially as you get older, because money isn't so much money, it's security. And your body starts to break down and you know that you're not as, let's say, as uh, energetic as you used to be. And you think about what your parents look like when they got in their 70s and 80s and you're getting closer to that age. So most people got their head on about money pretty squarely, pretty good. And it's about security. It's not about being better than somebody or having more or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of that, but most people are pretty solid about it. Look, I need the security that it, having enough savings in whatever form. And of course, that's hard to accomplish because when you go back and look at the real statistics, the average income earner in the United States of America has gone down since 1978 in purchasing power, not in the amount of dollars made. No, no, their number is a bigger number now. 
But as far as what that money will buy, it's basically gone down since 1978 for the average person, which means the majority. I'm sorry. I was just flashing back to 1978. I don't think that's true for me, David. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> got to look at it on a case-by-case basis. And I'm talking about the money. I'm not Because it really... Let me reframe that a little bit. It's not about how much did you make in 1978 because, you know, you might have been a teenager. It's about what that $100 purchased in 1978, that $100 now purchases much less. That's the point, of course. Very good point. You're probably making more than you were in 78. I certainly am. In real terms. In real terms, not in nominal terms. Well, I remember in college in 1973, my first year, my allowance was $10 a week and it actually got me through the week. David, always good to see you. Uh, thanks again for joining me on the program today. We'll talk right after Labor Day. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. I've been chatting with analyst, investor, and newsletter writer David Morgan. His website is themorganreport.com. And download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. This segment of the Ellis Martin Report has been sponsored by Amex Exploration, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol AMX, and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as AMXEF. Amex Exploration is exploring its 100% owned, her own gold project in Quebec, Canada, featuring super high-grade intersects. Go to their website, amexexploration.com. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Newsletter. It's free. Go to ellismartinreport.com and fill out the quick and easy pop-up form. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Robert Mintak, the CEO of Standard Lithium, trading in the U.S. as STLHF and on the TSX Venture Exchange as SLL. Standard Lithium is focused on unlocking the value of existing large-scale U.S.-based brine resources that potentially can be brought into production quickly. The company's flagship project is located in southern Arkansas, the 150,000-plus-acre Lanxus Project is in the prolific and productive Spackover Brine region. By securing access to this strategic resource through agreements with the area's largest commercial brine operators, Standard Lithium is able to utilize the extensive existing infrastructure, including brine supply and disposal pipelines, water, power, and a trained workforce to fast-track project development timelines. Their patent-pending rapid lithium extraction process has the potential to reduce the recovery time of extracting lithium from brine from the current industry method that takes years to as little as several hours. The process may also prove to be much more environmentally friendly with a significantly smaller footprint than the conventional processes. The company is locating a demonstration-scale plant in southern Arkansas this year. This novel processing approach has not yet been used to extract and process lithium from brines at a commercial scale anywhere globally. Robert, welcome back to the program. Hey, Ellis. Thanks for reaching out and nice to speak to you again. Well, it's been a long time since we've spoken, so if you don't mind, I'd like to reintroduce the company to our audience and also to any new listeners that might be checking out the program today. Tell us about Standard Lithium. The last time we spoke, I think, back in March. So Standard Lithium, we are a development company. We don't consider ourselves a mining company. We're a technology and project development company, and our key focus is our flagship 150,000-acre lithium brine project in South Arkansas, where we're partnered with global specialty chemical company Lanxus. And since the last time we've spoke, we've made some significant progress. Just so everyone can understand, the project we're working on is, I would say, one of the most advanced projects in North America, if not globally, in that the project itself is by and large already fully permitted and in operations extracting minerals from brine in South Arkansas. 
They're extracting bromine. They've been doing that for 50 years. And what we've developed is a technology that bolts onto the back of the existing operations that our project partners, Lanxis, own and operate for bromine extraction. We plug into the back end of their chemical plant and put an extraction technology we've developed to pull lithium out of their waste or tail brine, that they call it in Arkansas. We've been at this for a couple of years now, testing it at a bench scale and then going to a pilot plant in Canada. And now we're moving right into the jurisdiction and moving an industrial scale extraction demonstration plant to Arkansas. We shipped the first modules last week, and I just got images this morning of the modules for the demonstration plant being installed. So we're moving at light speed on the project. We hope to have the entire demonstration plant shipped and delivered and installed by early October. So moving really quickly on this, already by and large as I mentioned, permitted already for mineral extraction. So we're able to leverage or piggyback off of the massive existing infrastructure down there and really move much quicker than a normal lithium project like this would take to develop. Usually these take anywhere from 5, 8, 10, 12 years to get to where we are today. We've done it all in less than 24 months, really. You mentioned that you're not a mining company, you're a development company. So you're developing the project. What does that mean down the road? Will you parlay the company off to Lanxis in the future? What's the exit strategy if there is one in that you're a development company? Yeah, so we differentiate ourselves. We're lumped in with mining companies because that's how the resource is generally looked upon. But we built the company to eliminate all the mining development company risk. We consider ourselves a development company again that we're plugging into an existing operation. We're going to be pulling lithium out of a brine stream that's already commercially flowing with the technology we've developed. And we'll be producing a high purity battery quality lithium compound. It's really a specialty chemical company. So with regards to the steps of the project development, we have signed a general term sheet with Lanxis to develop the project to pursue the commercial production of lithium from the brine in South Arkansas. There's a number of milestones we need to achieve along the way. The one that's immediately in front of us is de-risking the extraction technology we've developed. We call it LISTR, L-I-S-T-R. It's a proprietary direct extraction process that pulls lithium ions from the brine in a matter of hours, where the conventional evaporation pond process takes months or even as long as a year or longer. The environmental footprint is incredibly small, a number of dozen acres as opposed to thousands of acres that's traditional project basis. And we have a stage development where we can build this project in stages as opposed to having to go in with massive earth moving equipment. So the immediate milestone that's in front of us right now is to de-risk the technology. We've de-risked it at a bench scale and a pilot plant. And now this is pre-commercial de-risking. So we need to show to our project partners like this that the extraction process we've developed will work in the real world in a continuous 24-hour per day process, seven days a week, that that can be then taken from demonstration right into commercial production. So that's what we'll be keenly focused on over the next six months. Along with that, putting together a pre-feasibility study to show the project's economics and that if they're attractive and that if the technology that we're highly confident in is shown to work, as we believe it will, along with some IP protection that we need to demonstrate that we can look at potentially moving into a decision to go into commercial production in less than the next 10 to 12 months. Unheard of in this industry. If we tick those boxes on the 
technology de-risking on the positive feasibility study and the IP protection, we'll form a joint venture company with Lanxis. Lanxis being the major infrastructure owner and owning the mineral assets in South Arkansas, 150,000 acres of permitted operating leases, 3.14 million tons of lithium carbonate equivalent at the indicated level underneath their operations. They all hold 70% of the JV standard lithium, bringing in the IP we've created, 27,000 acres of undeveloped leases that we hold will hold 30%. We do have a mechanism to increase our ownership up to as high as 40%, achieving certain milestones. But right now it's structured at 70-30. We'll form the joint venture. Lanxis would operate and build the plant and we would share in revenues. That is the nature of the JV. There's opportunities, of course, we're a public company that they may choose to look at this and say, we'll take a position standard lithium or we may want to go this alone. And there is that path as well. But as it's structured right now, we have a general term sheet in place for the JV. We're achieving the milestones to get to a definitive agreement and we'll move forward that way. But there is obviously two paths that it could go down. You mentioned that the JV would be another company that you would set up in association with Langsys. Would that also be a public entity, a spin out, or would it be a subsidiary of the two companies? It would be a private JV company or a a special project vehicle company that would be created. Langsys holding 70% and standard lithium holding 30%. One of the key things that differentiates ourselves from our peers in the lithium space as well, in that Lanxis is a major global chemical company. So not only will we be working with them piggybacking off of their infrastructure in Arkansas, their operational core competencies, because they'll be operating the plants if we're successful in their build. They'll also be taking 100% of the offtake. They have a global reach in marketing materials from that. And Lanxis has also, in our news releases, you can see they can committed to project financing. So we don't have to go to the market to raise the $440 million to build a 20,900-ton production facility. That is part of Lanxis's commitment to the project. It's not a free carry. It doesn't dilute us down from our 30% ownership in the project. The way I see it with the other technologies out there, if you want to call them technologies existing in the lithium space, you're a standalone project, one of a kind, going into production potentially within a year, a year and a half. I don't see anything like it out there, and the space has been soft. Do you think that's because it's really not economic to bring a lot of these other junior projects into fruition? It may not happen for five years. What's your take on that? Entire space had a great run between 2015 and early 2018. Billions of dollars went in, a handful of hard rock projects in Australia where they're not really going into the full specialty chemical stream. They're producing a concentrate that goes then shipped to China. A half a dozen of those roughly were built. But as I mentioned, it was a great run. But then the attention on the base drove a number of analysts to say that there'll be a tsunami of supply or a glut of supply coming online, completely ignoring the fact that projects are extremely difficult to build. At historically, looking back at the industry, it's over-promised and under-delivered on project development and increased production. It also had to compete with all of the marijuana industry and money being deployed into that, and then for a while, the Bitcoin space. But the, the key thing for investors to look at and the outside audience looking at this is these are difficult projects to build. There are great projects in a number of regions that are geopolitically challenged. So in South America, the challenge of building a project doesn't just mean finding a high-grade deposit. It also means having to navigate all of the geopolitical challenges. And then also all of the fundamental logistical challenges of building projects in very remote areas. So the challenge is along that 
what we're doing is we've taken a project in a region that is really unparalleled globally for access to infrastructure that's existing already, access to power at a very low cost, very important access to skilled workers. Thousands of people work in the brine industry in South Arkansas. So we have the benefit of all those. Advancing a new technology, there's a number of companies similar to us or with a similar technology approach, but they've taken by and large an approach of building a process and then trying to sell it to someone or deploy it at a project. We've worked in a different manner in that we identified the region we wanted to work in and then worked backwards to develop the most effective process for that project, not putting a square peg in a round hole, but bespoke tailoring a process for the chemistry of the brine, the geophysical and geographical constraints that drive a project, so access to water, cost of power, cost of chemical reagents, tailoring the process for that, and then partnering with a massive chemical company that understands how to build and operate these projects. And we paid Lanxis for the opportunity to work with them, also to capture exclusivity. We paid them a cash payment that brought us into the table. So we took the traditional approach of going cap in hand and saying, please pay us to show you we can do this. We said, we'll pay you to show you that we can do this and we want to be your partner on this. So we've taken a different approach on the project and that we've suffered uh, along with the entire industry and our share prices down over the last year but not as much as most of our peers because we're far more de-risked towards project development than most of our peers. And you're bringing a multinational German chemical company basically much further into the battery space, correct? Correct. I can't speak on behalf of Lancet, but previous to working with us, they weren't really exposed to the lithium space. The project we're developing with them, if we're successful, will be the largest lithium brine project in the United States. It's currently, I believe, the most advanced lithium brine project in North America. It gives them an opportunity to get into the lithium space. By and large, their biggest competitor globally in a number of chemicals is Albemarle. So Lanxis, this is a great JV between both of us. It's a win-win for both companies. Robert, what can we see from Standard Lithium and this project before the end of the year? Really exciting times right now. It's pretty much the dress rehearsal going on right now just before our big Broadway opening night. So as I mentioned earlier, our demonstration plant's being shipped to Arkansas. It's built in Canada. It's done by a company called Zeton, world leader in demonstration plant construction. And what they make is a modular system of delivering the plant. So the first nine modules were shipped last week and they've already landed in Arkansas and they're being connected and installed. I'm watching it in real time on our live video feed that I have in the office. Pretty exciting. But the plant will be fully delivered and installed towards the end of Q3. We'll have it up and running in October, and we believe fully commissioned before the end of the year, first of its kind in the world. So this will be an operating industrial-scale demonstration plant producing battery-quality lithium materials from a brine stream in the United States. So you'll see some announcements along that, hopefully a ribbon cutting that will capture a lot of attention in the space. Also, we'll be beginning our preliminary feasibility study, which we intend to deliver possibly by the end of the year, at least by early Q1 2020, which will put our project at the front stage of building the next U.S. lithium project. And lithium is identified as a critical mineral to the U.S. economy with all of the trade dialogue going on now and the focus on bringing jobs to the U.S. and a raw material supply to the U.S. This is a great spotlight on what that may look like moving into the next decade in this century. 
Well, Robert, I appreciate the update. I've been following the story for almost two years now. Thank you so much for joining us today in the program. I look forward to more updates when you have them, sir. Yeah, I agree. We'll have a new website out shortly with lots of pictures of the process technology and the demonstration plant in place. And that is standardlithium.com. And you check our Twitter feed as well, at Standard Lithium. I've been speaking with Robert Mintak, the CEO of Standard Lithium, trading in the U.S. as STLHF and on the TSX Venture Exchange as SLL. Learn more about the company by going to their website, standardlithium.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Would you like to be one of the first to see who we are following? Subscribe to our audio newsletter. It's free. ellismartinreport.com. High quality but undervalued mining stocks are finally starting to attract the attention of investors. Get the latest news and resource stock investment opportunities with a subscription to Resource World magazine. Published six times a year, Resource World features in-depth articles on mineral area plays, commodities of interest, and valuable investment insights by highly qualified market analysts, geologists, and mining journalists. Go to resourceworld.com to find out more. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Nav Dhaliwal, the president and CEO of Gatling Exploration, trading as GATGF in the U.S. and on the TSX Venture Exchange as GTR. Gatling Exploration is a Canadian gold exploration company focused on advancing the larger project located in the prolific Abitibi Greenstone Belt in northern Ontario. The larger property hosts three high-grade gold deposits along the Cadillac Larder Lake Break, 35 kilometers east of Kirkland Lake. Nav, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us, Alice. You're new on the program, so if you don't mind, give our listeners an overview of the company. Absolutely. So Gatling Exploration is located in Ontario along the Cadillac Larder Fault. We comprise the portfolio package of three different deposits called the Bear Lake Deposit, the Sheminis, and Fernland. In previous years, they have all been worked separately. So we've combined that whole complete land package. Goldfields back in 2012 did a $40 million option on the Bear Lake project, left us with about 31,000 meters of drilling that was non reported and just under $6 million worth of work as well with surface sampling and soil sampling and whatnot. So it was a very attractive land package for us. Seeing that we're next door to Anico Eagles, Upper Beaver and Upper Canada project, and there's really no other juniors in the area. So we find it a very fruitful gold district and we're busy drilling away right now. What I like about what you said is you're not far from Detour Lake, Kirtland Lake and Timmins. This is a very prolific area of the Abitibi thousand percent on that one. And again, when we were looking at land packages and moving forward with the geological team that's been proven in the past here, this was something that we saw it and we had to acquire it just seeing how, and again, with gold in our favor here, it's all just kind of layering up. And especially with the company status in the sense of its finances, we're comfortably financed right now with just under $7 million of cash. We've got just under a million ounces inferred on the Bear Lake deposit. So we're well positioned as a company and with our structure, with just under 50 million shares out, no warrants. It's got the footprints of seeing some big upside here in short order. The phrase of the era is grade, 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 high grade. We believe that the larger project has three, as you mentioned, high grade gold deposits, the Sheminis, the Bear Lake, and Fernland. That's correct. So just recently, we've been putting out news on the Bear Lake deposit. And again, yeah, you're correct, Ellis. It's all about grade. Grade is always going to be king no matter what kind of market conditions there are, even better when the gold market in our favor. So the Bear Lake deposit, we've been putting out some results in the past 
last few weeks here. And just recently, which was very interesting and encouraging for the company, was we started a drill campaign two kilometers to the west on our Sheminis project. And that just returned values of five meters of 12.3 grams, including three meters of 18 grams. So again, this hasn't been worked for quite some time on over 30 years. So what we see here, and again, our thesis and what we believe is all three of these deposits were independently worked at one point in time is, and what we see is there could be continuity throughout all three of these deposits. And how we're going to prove that is continuing drilling. We started off our drill program with 10,000 meters. That was kind of a bare minimum for us getting going in this marketplace and especially our, our mentality about getting after a project because it's all fine and dandy to be sitting here talking about what we've had and what historically has been had. But investors, new or old, the investing community really wants to see a proactive company getting out there and showing results. So with this Sheminis hit, this is very encouraging for us. And recently within the company, we did a deal with Tech and that deal comprised of the properties to the northwest of us that contiguous with an equal yields upper beaver trend. And the beauty of what we acquired from Tech was they did about $2 million worth of work. The properties drew already. We just received permits for that. Again, we're doubling up now on the meterages that we're drilling. We went from 10,000 to 20,000. And again, we're very aggressive on getting out there and proving out what we believe could be a game changer in this area. And I got to reiterate, the company is financially in good condition with having just under 50 million shares out. The company's value currently right now is about $20 million. If you layer everything up, Ellis, from our inferred deposit, just under a million ounces at 5.5 grams, which we believe we can, through the work that we're doing, is increase that grade. Again, we've got to show up by the work that we're doing. From that, with us continuing this work here, we're just going to keep putting news out to the marketplace and showing how we're going about it. And we're comfortable in what we're seeing here and seeing a lot of upside for our current shareholders and new shareholders that get involved with us. You're about seven kilometers west, which is almost five miles from the Kerr-Addison mine, which produced 11 million ounces of gold historically. Now, in geological terms, seven kilometers is really nothing. No, exactly. And thanks for pointing that out. That always kind of slips by every now and then, which it shouldn't. The Kerr-Addison was one of the most productive gold mines in Canada on how tight that whole package was in the material. It's one of the highest grade producing mines in Canada at one point in time. And we follow that trend. And hence, between Kerr-Addison and Nico Eagle, you'll find the Gatling land package. And again, we got to go back to the Bear Lake. Goldfields did a $40 million option in 2010, walked away from the project in 2012, not because they didn't like what they saw. There was a company-wide decision to shut down exploration and focus on their production, which allowed us to acquire something of value here, not just putting a land package together, but it came with unreported work and it came with a deposit of just under a million ounces. You've had some successes in the past. This management team is not new to gold exploration. Let's talk about the team and your successful past history. Yeah, absolutely. So I formulated this team back in 2014. I was the founder of Bonterra Resources back in 2009. Took a small deposit of 200 meters by 200 meters, having a quarter million ounces. And within that time, bringing on the likes of Dale Ginn, who knows the area, has actually worked 
on the Sheminus and Bear projects back in the day. He's been one hell of an asset for us in understanding geologically and interpretation. Nathan Tribble as well and Carly Oliver, we've got one hell of a dynamic geological team that's able to get at and assess properties and evaluate them and come up with work programs that we can get the investing community behind. As you can see with the results that we've been putting out here in the last little bit, and we're excited about what the future holds for us as well. Now, what's the news flow going to be like in your estimation over the next few months for the rest of the year? Well, with the amount of work that we got going on, I anticipate keeping the investing community and the shareholders very engaged. We just doubled our meterages that we're drilling. We'll be drilling up from the newly acquired properties from tech, plus what we're doing down on the Bear Shamanis and Fernland. So I would definitely let the investing community know that we're going to be quite abundant with our news flow going forward. Now, thank you so much for joining us today in the program. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Look forward to more news when it happens. Thanks, Ellis. I appreciate it. I've been speaking with Nav Dollywall, the president and CEO of Gatling Exploration, trading at GATGF in the U.S. and on the TSX Venture Exchange as GTR. Do your own research on this company first by going to their website, GatlingExploration.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Gatling Exploration is a paid sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Newsletter. It's free. Go to ellismartinreport.com and fill out the quick and easy pop-up form. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com.